0: Welcome to The Act, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Act is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Each episode, powered by Pavilion, helps you unlock your professional potential by featuring experts who will share how they build impactful teams and optimize their go-to market execution. Welcome and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to The Act podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. Market Tech is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, I am genuinely honored to interview two content professionals and thought leaders who both happen to start their careers in sales. They're going to share what content marketing And sales need from us, product marketers, so that our companies can exchange value for money efficiently. Because that's what we do here in marketing. We help our companies exchange value for our customers' money. And this year, more so than any other year, we got to do it very efficiently. And to ensure these two brilliant individuals don't overpower me, even though they're good guys. I have brought along some muscle. I've got a brilliant, pragmatic content strategist turned product marketing leader from Atlassian. She goes by the name of Ashley. She's been on the show before. Welcome.
2: Hey, it's good to be here. I'm. Uh, I like your use of bringing the muscle to a Dovetails with my my fitness fiend part of my bio. So this should be a fun conversation.
1: <laughs> and, and now let's welcome Morgan. Jay Ingram and Devin Reed, another return guest. Morgan, I, I hope you're you're gonna be back in the market tech like these other two. whether it's just pity or you actually enjoy being here, please <laughs> say yes next time I, I invite you, much like Devin and Morgan uh, and Ashley. Uh, so Morgan and devin, they're they're gonna share what content and sales teams needs from product marketing to help their companies exchange value for money efficiently. Welcome folks. Thank
3: you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm already fired up because you said the J and most people forget it. So you're, you're already good at my book. Uh,
1: is, is J stand for jam? Morgan <laughs> jamming room. Every time I speak to you, I feel like I'm jamming, man. So let's, 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 see, let's,
3: let's say what that's, it is. That's what it is.
1: All right. That's Morgan the DJ Jennings. alter ego. <laughs> okay, um, I, folks, let's start with the basics. And, uh, Although Ashley, you're you're co-host with me today, but I'm going to pose the first question to you just as a level set. What is the definition, the role, the value of product marketing in a SaaS company? Level set with the audience here.
2: So I'm going to say that we are the bridge between the market and the company. So we look at what the market needs. We translate that into audience insights and journeys to influence what the company builds and then once we have that offering we share that back with the market in a way that resonates with them so i i will also note what product marketing is not it's actually not sales enablement it's not signups it's not onboarding flows right like those are all tactical outputs that product marketing may own or influence but at our core we are supposed to be a bridge between the market and the company and we are supposed to be that conduit to translate to influence, you know, and to help both sides match problems with solutions.
1: Ah, oh, love it. We're the bridge. We're the con. I, I love that between, especially those who build and those who sell. Morgan, Devin, uh, whether in your initial SDR roles, um, thereafter content roles, you you've experienced and interlocked with product marketing, you know, folks in the past. What should product marketing do? To be a value add to both the company and you know sales and content teams.
0: We're both going to be polite. Yeah. Uh, yeah and know, wait. I, I, oh, I thought you were being polite. Maybe I just gave you one <laughs> extra. <shot. laughs> I, was, I was. I was being polite. I was going to open the door and say, Morgan, why don't you go first and I'll follow you? Because honestly, if I'm being honest, I'm being nice to Morgan, but I also don't want to follow Ashley because that answer was really good. <laughs> it was super concise, and I, I want to follow
3: up on Ashley's answer and talk about the bridge again, because it's there's multiple bridges here, right? So when you think about the product marketing bridge to the market, I believe that product marketing also has to have that bridge to the revenue team. And I'll speak on my experience of training sales development teams and being an SDR myself. There needs to be a bridge to the SDR team. I feel like most of the time people will neglect that team and say, hey, you know, just book meetings, it's fine. However, when you think about it, Besides customer success, they are the team that's talking to the most active potential clients and customers in the space. They're getting all the objections that you're facing. Uh, they're getting up against like, is this product even relevant to people when they're doing their pitches uh, based on their reply rates and things of that nature. So I, I believe right, that there should be a lot more value-adding conversations with the SDR team because of all the things that they're facing. And product marketing can then figure out, oh wow, okay, that message is really landing. Why can we speak at the? Can we speak more about that in the market on a higher level than maybe our SDRs are doing on their cold calls and emails? So that would be my experience with it, and I think that's a huge value add for product marketing.
1: I love it, Morgan. And my God, you're right. I mean, the SDR, BDRs, whatever you call them these days. They're the front lines. They have the hardest job in a, in a SaaS company, full stop. And I'll argue with anyone on that point. They are putting themselves out there day in, day out in front of your prospects, not even your customers. These are people who don't know you yet, uh, aren't familiar with you yet. So what, what's the messaging that works? What's the position that really attracts to the, to this prospect base? And you're right. More often than not, we don't do enough with this uh, this vital crew of SDRs and BDRs. So thank you for calling that out. Devin, role of product marketing in your experience.
0: Yeah, and my experience has been a lot of small SaaS startups, a lot of early stage companies. And the word that came to mind was, was positioning or differentiation. And so as a salesperson, I was always trying to figure out, you know, how am I positioning this to the market, but really how am I positioning myself differently from the technology that the prospect's already using, or you know, up and coming uh, competitors as the market starts to get more crowded, so those are the things that were always top of mind as a salesperson. And then now, as a content leader, it's really more or less the same. I just find that my interaction with product marketing has changed, and I know we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. But it's really, you know, what is the what is the main things that we're trying to say and why are we trying to say them? Cause now as a content leader is kind of actually taking those ideas, taking those, um, kind of bigger concepts, things that you often need to educate the audience and say, okay, great. How do I take that, put it into a street level that's really going to resonate and then be part of the return, you know, on that bridge, be a turn, be part of the return, which is, Hey, here's some of the signals we're getting. You're getting them from customers and prospects. We're also getting them from
2: our audience and prospects as well. I really like that answer because, again, I think it goes back to the bridging. And I think it depends, depending on how the organization is structured. Um, You know, obviously, Devin, I've been in your shoes where I'm, you know, a content leader and then, quote, unquote, switched into product marketing. But it's like, no, actually, content and PMM are very close friends as well. Um, And it, it just depends on how the company slices up. The roles and responsibilities for that structure. So I love that with the positioning and messaging. Um, and then Morgan, you know, I've also worked with a variety of content agencies to get that stuff done and figuring out how do we equip them. Like I love your call out about SDRs as well, because I think what often happens is people will say, Oh, we need to uh, we need to make some, some battle cards for the SDRs. And so PM goes in with all of their competitive knowledge and market knowledge and makes these very scripted battle cards. And the SDRs were like, Nobody talks like that, you know. So I think there's a lot of really good feedback that has to happen uh, for both of them. So I love those answers. I want to also level set on the role of content marketing in a SaaS company. So Devin will stay with you, uh, and then Morgan, I'd love to hear what you think about the role of content marketing as well.
0: Yeah, the, the this uh, I've, I've, this I have shared with with Rowan in the past, so Rowan might might fall asleep if I sound repetitive, <laughs> or maybe my opinion has changed. I, I also reserve the right to change. Um, the way that I think about it is like, what does your team do is we change the way that people think and act at the highest level. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to move people from point A to point B. Sometimes that's the big, uh, you know, from unaware of us to a client. Sometimes it's becoming a client to a renewal and all of the little kind of micro conversions in between that help you build an audience, build pipeline, accelerate pipeline, et cetera. And so I like to start at that high level because a lot of times, you know, if you're scrolling on LinkedIn, if you talk to some folks, they might say, you know, the role of content is blogging or, you know, they list out their output calendar of like, you know, this many LinkedIn posts, this many tweets a week. Um to your kind of point earlier, that's probably the most tactical part of it. That's like the tip of the spear, the time you actually hit publish. But the real goal is to win mindshare. It's to support the CEO slide or the strategic goals that the company has for that year. And then design the systems for those outputs. And then in between actually executing that, that's where the fun, you know, cool stuff happens from building a brand to, you know, publishing really uh, thought-provoking content.
2: I love that. I always say we have to keep winning and re-winning the hearts, minds and wallets of our audience um, in SaaS because they they can churn at any time. And so um, I love that. Morgan, what's your take?
3: I mean, I, I got to follow up on Devin's answer. Yeah. Like,
2: oh I like how none of us want to follow each other. We're <laughs> like, like, there's just silence after every answer. Yeah, like, it's yep, like
3: plus one. Yeah, it's <laughs> like someone just drops the best like lyric of all time on the song. It's like I have to follow that. Like I might as well just I'll be on the next song. Um, well, I want to just amp like amplify what Devin is saying there. And I know Devin, you've done a great job at Gong, and you know now you're moving over Clearing and doing the same thing. And I, I just couldn't agree more. Is that there's a lot of different companies in the same category, but how you have that unique piece is how you get people to feel, how do you get them to change and act on certain things. And I wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, The next layer that I'm going to dive into and and where my focus is and where my focus has been is being in organizations and being that content creator. So being more on the strategic side of like, who's the person that's going to really put out that content like the individual rather than even the company level and coming from that company as a whole. So the way that I think about it is now that you have exactly what Devin has there, how do you create unique characters or, or bold narratives and, and point of voices from individuals in your companies that can be advocates of your brand? You can always get outside influencers to do that, that will amplify you. But what's really important is how can we get people internally to advocate us even more? And if you think about the most successful... Let's say movies or franchises, uh, you have like Marvel, Star Wars, et cetera. Not only do they do a good job of being unique, right? Cause there's a lot of movies about being out in space, right? They do a really good job of having characters that you're emotionally attached to. So now you're even more bought in. And I feel like companies moving forward, whatever space that you're in, when it comes to the content, how do we implement and advocate for our employees? to be really good, let's say, characters in this space. So they're emotionally attached to our brand. So like, oh, wow, okay, I know that person because of this company. Now I'm more bought in. You can create more content around that and, and really get people to buy into the narrative that you're pushing as well. So that's how I see content. Uh, shout out to you know, Lavender is a good example of that. Uh, they've been doing that and they have good content creators internally that's allowed them to do that too.
1: Love it. And I can't believe you brought up Marvel and Avengers. Just on that note, as my ADHD kicks in, uh Quick, everyone! Favorite Avenger character?
0: Go, Iron Man. Yeah, I want to be Iron Man, but I like uh, Thor better because I like the comedic value that he brings. Wait, I wh- gotta
1: go. Block which one?
0: Which Thor, Thor which though? Thor, Thor, which... Thor has different stages of his. Like, you are you like? I'm a Ragnarok fat guy. Thor? Or are you like? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, say, I didn't yeah. know what Thor you wanted to be. There's different Thors. Fat Thor was funny too. That was unexpected. But
2: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just want to be Fat Thor so I can eat all the cake. But <laughs> you know, like, like, we we didn't we're not getting into the, the whole nuance of why we're choosing these people. Right.
1: You know, but <laughs> uh, I, dietary actually, restrictions aside,
2: <laughs> I said
1: Black Widow. Black Widow. All oh, right. that's a cool one. Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. That so, really good. I mean, uh, there's no better segue than Fat Thor. into the. <laughs> <laughs> there's no segue whatsoever, but I'm going to have to make the jump. So we level set on product marketing and content marketing. Reality is product marketing can't do anything themselves. Uh, content marketing, same thing. Sales, same thing. So every organization has its revenue ecosystem and Devon, you know, much like product marketing, your team has a ton of interlocking stakeholders, both upstream with, you know, the folks that build things and downstream with the folks that sell and market things. In product marketing, you know, we, we help both. We're, we're helping those who build, especially the product management folks. And we're enabling those who sell, like, you know, marketing campaigns, enablement, uh, materials, sales conversations, customer success, retention, expansion, uh, messaging and content and conversations. So, Devin, let's, let's start with you in, in your, whether at Clary or your previous life at Gong, uh, who are your key interlock stakeholders in the revenue ecosystems from a content marketing perspective? Uh, Like, where do you get your inputs and who are your just key internal customers? I guess I'll brand them as.
0: Yeah, the, the good, there's a curse and a, a blessing and a curse when you're head of content, which is everything in marketing is pretty much content. So it's good because you can be involved in a lot of things, but it's kind of bad because you can be involved in maybe too many things. And, and really what I mean by that is the role that you have varies greatly pending, you know, your content team size, ability, and you know, how much do you support growth for first product marketing versus SDRs and so on. So it can get. Pretty tricky, pretty quickly. Um, but the inputs that I'm looking for are CEO, CMO, sales leaders, and that's not every single one. There's usually like a little bit of a collective four or five, you know, representing you know international, uh, enterprise, down market, etc. Uh, PM, obviously growth. That's kind of like the core group, which is already a very large backyard barbecue if everyone's in the room at the same time, um, which is where it gets tricky. But I think the the other Equally important one, depending on who you ask, is the audience. So for me, I've always owned social media. Um, you know, things like email, a lot of the channels, a lot of the audience growth mechanisms, and, and such. So that to me is the biggest one. Is I have irrefutable evidence of what's landing and what's not based on you know social media metrics, consumption metrics, etc. So it's kind of fun to play the game of like, hey, CEO to sales leaders, what do you want and what are you hearing? And then also kind of, um, sometimes combating and sometimes agreeing with, well, hey, here's what our audience and here's what the data shows as well. And sometimes there's a kind of a fun reconciliation of, I know it doesn't seem like this is what people want, but I'm, I, here you go. I promise it. Uh, and then a fun channel of, you know, sales that are saying, here, here's what we want them to care, to care about. Here's what we want them to, to know. And then going, okay, well, that's going to need some finessing to get it, to get it to street level that people want to engage with. But, um, I would say, I would say those folks and the main reason sales as well is so important, especially as I started at Clary six months ago, is we have to win over the sales team before we're going to win over the market. If our sales team doesn't like our content, isn't excited to share it, isn't sharing feedback from them, sharing it with their prospects and clients, then we haven't quite tipped yet. And we have to win them over first before we'll get, you know, what I'll call randos, the prospects and buyers you don't even know about us yet. Or excuse me, the prospects you don't even know about us yet.
1: Love it. And, and so, when you say sales, are you um, just curious? Are are you working very closely with enablement, going directly to sales, combination of both?
0: No. What I've found best so far is you know you kind of ID the, those few senior leaders, and you just join their weekly team call. No one wants more. Calls on their calendar, they definitely don't want them with the marketer. Um, so I just say, hey, give me fifteen minutes on, you know, once a month with your enterprise sales team or just your leaders, you know, your your enterprise leaders, and start to get feedback. Hey, over the last month of what happened, what'd you hear? What do you like? What do you dislike? Why? All right, I'm taking notes, and then I'm sharing what's coming up and why. And that way, I, you know, there's a lot of the conflict I would say that can happen between content or marketing and sales is just lack of awareness. Sales doesn't know what's coming. They don't know why it's coming. They feel unprepared. And then there's kind of the, uh, the true-up that has to happen, which is, Hey, we're running all these campaigns, but they're not converting. Who's to blame? And it's like, well, probably some, somewhere in that handoff area. Brilliant. And, and Ashley, I know you're
2: here. Yeah, that. I was I'm just gonna saying. say, I think... <laughs> yeah, there's a couple things in there. I think uh, I... I get this on both sides because I do developer marketing, right? Most of my marketing is for Agile and DevOps, and so the only people who hates marketers more than sales is devs. Um, I don't know; it's a tie for who hates who hates a marketer I more. Will, I will never and,
0: market to that group. You win for sure, no doubt. Yeah, it's,
2: <laughs> so it's it's interesting too because I think your point about everything can be content, or people come in and say, you know, we we want this kind of content, and then asking what does the audience want? We see this a ton on the DevOps side of the house where literally we have a a dev evangelist and multiple times I've come to him and been like, we need an article to do this or we need a video about this. And he's like, sorry, why wouldn't I just look at the code? And I'm like, well, I mean, the code won't tell you the story. And he's like, well, then it's terrible code. Like if I can't read (laughs) the code and understand it, a marketer is certainly not going to help me, right? So I think that's kind of the same thing with sales reps where we, you know, as marketers, we look at sales and we're like, we've delivered these perfect leads to you. Why can't you close them? And sales replies, you know, you haven't delivered us perfect leads and you're not on these calls, which obviously is the problem that Gong kind of solves is is the recordings and helping people understand what's going on with their market. So I think this actually dovetails um, Morgan into some of the stuff you were talking about earlier with SDRs and how they need to, how product marketing needs to be, be partnered so much more closely with SDR. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because I, I feel like the intense, uh, challenging relationships between marketing and sales tend to tend to happen at those more tactical, like frontline levels. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how to improve that relationship and what it should look like to make sure that both sides are effective.
3: Yeah, so it's funny. Devin was talking about how you only get like 15 minutes with the enterprise sales team. If you're talking to an SDR team, you may get two minutes. Right? <laughs> like Talk about like ADD and, and squirrel level. To, it's a whole new level there. So the the way that I saw it when I was in SDR managed teams, even training uh, SDR teams is you're having a ton of objections like we talked about earlier that happen. And if you're able to take those top objections from the sales team, that equips marketing and also product marketing to figure out what type of content do we need to be putting out to the market? And also, how can we be equipping our own reps, front lines to start addressing these objections and potentially convert them? And that's the relationship that should be happening. Uh, hopping in, you know, five, 10 minutes in a, in a team huddle saying, Hey, like, what are the top objections that you're facing? What content can we be writing? How can we position things maybe a little differently? Oh yeah. Well, we're hearing this objection, you know, a hundreds of times a week. All right. Well, that maybe that's something we need to focus on. Maybe there's a product that's coming out that we had no idea about that the reps are hearing first. Cause typically when I was in SDR, we would actually hear sometimes about products that, you know, the company hadn't even heard about before because we were just on the phones hearing them firsthand. We would hand that off to marketing. Product marketing would then figure out, okay, how do we actually need to go about that to the market? And then that would get communicated to the executive team. So it's just something not to sleep on that like your SDRs and BDRs might get information faster than mm. your team might be getting. And that relationship can be important. And that's how that's what allowed us to then create even in-person events uh, as well. Right. We were able to figure out pain points that buyers had. So we would create talk tracks around those different pain points because we as an SDR team were were feeding that. And it's something that I don't see that often, but for at least our team, the team that I had in the past and so the teams that I've worked with, when they're successful is when they're working with product marketing. They're figuring out what objections are going on. They're able to communicate what's happening because they're in the front lines getting all this information. All that information can translate into content if you contextualize it.
1: Ooh, love that. And, and uh, so Morgan. Staying with you for a quick second. And then Ashley, I would love to get your take on Interlock, especially coming from a PLG or an organization like Atlassian. Uh, so Morgan, you mentioned SDR, BDR, conversations with product marketing. Are you looking at like a, a weekly, monthly cadence between the two organizations to just download the things that they're hearing um, or, or even more than that? Because you, you want things in real time.
3: I would feel like each organization is different. So the, my, you know, the everyone's favorite answer question. Oh, it depends, but it, it does depend, right? But uh, bi-weekly is most likely the best scenario. And what you would like to do is have your manager or however your team is set up to then talk to someone else on that marketing side to say, Hey, in real time, Hey, we're, we're two weeks into the month, quick 15 minute sync. Here's the things that we're hearing. Here's what's going on. Uh, we want to prepare ourselves because. As an SDR BDR, for most organizations, I know things are changing, but for most organizations, you have a quota monthly and it changes. For sales reps, right? Obviously you still have a, a monthly quota and you're closing revenue, but like sometimes you have a quarterly number, right? In the yearly number. For SCRs, it's like every month. Right? It's like, you did really well this month. It's like, yeah, you don't have a quarter number typically. It's like, you better do good again. So I w- we want to be able to get those iterations very quickly. So we could equip that also for our sellers if they're looking to prospect or sell as well. But if we're speaking on the SCR realm, like we're talking about a biweekly sync, 15 minutes, let's go over the information real quick. Nothing crazy. Move on. And also, these don't have to be static, by the way. Maybe you don't need that meeting and you could do something async and just sit over a document and work that way. Everyone's different. I'm just giving a recommendation that I've seen work.
1: Love it. I, I love that. Bi-weekly and, and have the manager as the, um, the facilitator of all these insights um, to the product marketing team. Ashley, Atlassian, interlocks, right? especially between product marketing, content, sales. For a PLG organization, explain to me how, how that, those relationships work.
2: Yeah, I was going to do pull the same card as Morgan and be like, oh, well, it depends. But actually, uh, two things I wanted to say on that, um, Morgan, your comments about the SDRs, you know, getting that frontline information and solving the objections. I think there's a content piece of it. There's also a product piece of it. If we're, if we don't have feature parity or we're fundamentally not solving the problem effectively on the product side, that's actually a great place for product marketing to be able to step in and use their partnerships with product to help solve some of those objections. So if you don't have the right integrations or features or whatever it is, the frontline sales folks are actually a great source of market information for us to then take back to try to influence the product roadmap. So that's another piece that I want to... I know that's that wasn't your question, Rowan, but I just wanted to tag on to that because I think that's an underrated relationship and feedback loop that... Sales and product marketing and then product marketing to product and then product back to product marketing and then product marketing back to sales. Like That's a nice little loop. So that's the first thing. Second thing from a PLG standpoint, um, in a lot of cases, content is acting as the salesperson and the support person. Mm. So we have to convince people to buy, we have to enable them to buy, and we have to enable them to use our products via content because we don't have that large traditional sales team That means that every single customer has, you know, a customer success rep or a partner manager or account executive or something like that. So in our case, for PLG, content is the sales and the support. And so that adds a different element to it in terms of matching problems and solutions, making sure we're delivering the right message to the right audience at the right time. Um, We also partner very closely with our content design support documentation folks because all of that is public. So from a super tactical standpoint, our support documentation shows up in SEO. And so when we start talking about things like the funnel, it's very different in product led growth because people can sign up with a credit card or they could sign up if you, if you run a freemium product such that they can sign up in, in Atlassian's case for up to 10 users. They never have to talk to a sales rep for that. And they may come in through support documentation because It looks easy to set up our products and you can get started for free. And so we almost have to completely rethink how we go about building content for the entire funnel instead of thinking about it as more of that high touch or more linear journey where you have, again, in my opinion, a salesperson should be kind of a Sherpa on that journey and guiding you. Um, We don't really have that person to do that in the product led growth or PLG style of go-to-market.
1: Wow. Very fascinating. And and so you're right. And so you, you are directly exchanging value for your customer's money on the PLG front because uh, until you get to the, I believe with Atlassian, until you get to the enterprise level, you're not dealing with the rep, right? You're exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah, you're, it's you're only a- our yeah.
2: largest customers that have um, that more traditional sales-led motion or those ongoing relationships with sales.
1: Brilliant. Well thanks for sharing that. And so here here's where we're at in this podcast. We've level set on the role and value of product marketing and content. We've covered who product marketing and content plays interlocks with in the company's revenue ecosystem. And, And so now let's get real. Let's get to the execution part. So how is product marketing and content marketing helping sales exchange our value For our customers money efficiently. And Morgan, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow some fantastic copy from one of your recent uh, LinkedIn posts. And it, and it goes like this. I'm going to, I'm going to preface our next set of questions with directly from your LinkedIn post. This is from Morgan. I'm going to take a passage out of one of your recent LinkedIn posts here and it starts like this. So it's go time. The buyer is changing. Yet how we think about sales and marketing is still the same. Outbound is starting to be less fruitful. Traditional marketing is slowly dying. Paid ad spend isn't as impactful. Yet why are we doing the same things that aren't working if the market is changing? Today's evolution of sales and marketing must be clearly focused on one thing. Developing a foundational content strategy that amplifies conversations. Let's have some real talk. Products are starting to look the same from a features and function standpoint. So how do you stand out? Narrative led growth, narrative led growth. To keep it simple, we're talking about marketing, creating content to start conversations that convert into one thing, revenue, money, money, money. Gone, he didn't add that part. I just added that last part. Anyways, gone are the days of leads that go nowhere. Welcome to the days where marketing is tasked with driving revenue conversations. To drive that revenue, marketers have to focus on three main pillars. Community expansion, social lift, brand awareness. Thereafter, you have to take your consumer through three stages of the content journey. Audience, community, advocates. Morgan, I loved this post. And it's so on point, especially in today's day and age, where our peers and, and the value of community can can really help amplify and reach our customers.
2: Yeah, I just want to plus one. That's that's awesome. And I think it gets it gets at the human-to-human piece of this. Um we talk about this a lot at Atlassian as well, right? Like even though our customers may not always talk to a human. We want them to feel like they have that human connection to us through, you know, community events or the ability to hang out with us on LinkedIn and Twitter and those kinds of things. So I love that you've taken it away from just this abstract idea of, yeah, we need to be available. It's like, no, no, no. We have to, we have to be part of the community and actually talk to those people and form those relationships. So I think that's really awesome.
1: And yeah. So- I mean. Yo, go, ahead. Please, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: No, I was just, I was just going to, I was just going to co-sign on that and say that it's something that a client said, and Ron, you can follow up on the question is that we were talking about what does community mean? And most people are just say, Oh, it's a Slack. And I'm like, no, <laughs> uh, a, a, a community is multiple channels where you're putting out content and people feel comfortable to engage with that content, right? Your community could be an in-person event, it could be your podcast, it could be your YouTube channel. That is part of your community. Now, the goal is is that you bring them together with a an even larger event sometimes, and that's that's a, that's the point of it. But your community exists in multiple different ways because people like to engage and consume content in multiple different ways. So, I uh, wanted, wanted to just expand on that point. But Rowan, you were going to say something. I stopped you.
1: No, you're you're going down the path I was going to ask you to add some color on, which is like just expand on community expansion, social lift, brand awareness. Like, what what do you mean by those three pillars?
3: So, when I started creating content back in 2016 on LinkedIn. Back when like, I don't know if y'all are <laughs> like, they just made the feed, I think. Like LinkedIn Pulse, that was about it at that point.
2: So I'm an OG back there with you too, Morgan. I, I uh, helped build whenever the, the Pulse stuff was only for... It was limited to 400 creators. Um, and Nancy Duarte was one of those early creators and I was working at Duarte at the time. So it was like a big deal. For her to get asked to be like one of the LinkedIn creators, so I'm, I I like this walk back down memory lane.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm so glad that that you were back. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's so like a lot of people that create today are like, oh yeah. I'm like, guys, this is so different back in the day. So uh, that's amazing that you were a part of that. And so to answer the question, when I was building my brand, I noticed that these are three things that were happening. Right. Community was expansion. My, my social life was increasing and my brand awareness of my brand was increasing, but also the brand awareness of the company I was at Terminus at the time was increasing as well. Right. And I wasn't even posting anything about account based marketing Terminus. I was just posting content about sales development, but because I was posting content, people were like, wait, hold on. I Terminus, that's interesting. Right. And that's what led to some opportunities that we had. So the way that it works is when you're doing content is. First and foremost, when you're doing anything, right, you're creating content that increases the brand, right? Once people know about the brand, they're going to feel attached in some way. So they're going to follow you, which is a social lift. And then if they really, really like you, right, and they want to be a part of it, then that expands your community. And just like I said, community can be in different ways. It's not just let's create this Slack group, let's do this group over here, let's create a Discord group. It's a it's a collective of things that you're doing that is congruent, and I've I've seen a lot of content pieces they they're not congruent, right? So you do something over here, but it isn't tied to the other thing that you're doing, and ultimately that's what you want to do, so that you have people can megaphone you and create those advocates. So that's what that brand awareness, social lift, community expansion that's how that works for if you're doing a personal brand, but also works for the organization as well.
1: Brilliant, and and then from a so you you also talked about audience, community, advocates. Can you just expand on that as well? Like the three stages of the content journey? So so when you create
3: content as an organization, you're like, Oh, cool. We have like 100,000 followers or a content creator can be like, Yo, I have 80,000 followers, which is great. However, that doesn't really tell the whole story. And that doesn't help you guide the content in the lane that you need to go. Just because you have a hundred thousand followers, that doesn't mean that you have a hundred thousand people in your community. So completely different. So the way that you think about this when you're creating content is there's your audience and your audience is those people, the people that follow you, the people that are, that are supporting you at that level. The next level is we want to convert the audience into community or some people have been calling this own media, right? And that could be a newsletter. That could be in-person events. That could be, it can, it can be a Slack group. It could be something that is more exclusive, right, for that person, and then you also have the advocates. So the whole goal is that through the community that you have built, people that are like this community is amazing, and they start talking about you. Word of mouth marketing, you know, dark social, those things. The the thing that I'll add to this as well is I've been doing, doing a lot of research, and I've already mentioned it earlier on what are the most popular communities. And the thing that's the most interesting about this is that the most popular communities. Are the TV shows and the movies. If you, I've seen Game of Thrones, but this is an example. If you ask someone, have, have you seen Game of Thrones? And they say no. Most people get very hostile towards that person. <laughs> like relationships might get lost. Like, yo, we can't be friends anymore. Like, you don't like Game of Thrones? So that's just interesting, right? Because they've just created such a strong community and advocate of people. They're willing to drop relationships and friendships. And that's. I'm not saying that's not saying you don't want people to drop friendship relationships, but you want to have that same level of affinity for the brands that you build. So you have to be thinking about, I think everyone moving forward. Yeah. Media company, but you need to be thinking about how can I build a community like Marvel star Wars, right. Game of Thrones friends, uh, these, all these different shows that are extremely, um, breaking bad, right. They have such loyal followers, anything that they put out, they're going to be a part of it. Like I'll give an example. This is like me getting like super nerdy here, but whatever. So Marvel, I've seen every single Marvel movie because I'm just attached to the story at this point. I went to go see Ant-Man and I Ant-Man, I was like, yo, this is going to be trash, but I still went to go watch it. Right. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm obsessed with this narrative right now. I got to watch Ant-Man. Otherwise I'm going to be lost in the entire story. And Ant-Man actually ended up being a good movie. So the thing at the end of the day is like, that's the way that I think most brands need to be thinking about it is like, how do we get this community like these other communities that you're already a part of? I, I guarantee everyone listening has one of those things I have mentioned. You're probably a part of it. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, like you probably anything Harry Potter drops, you're going to go. And you have to think about how
1: can your brand do the same? Love it. Devin, hey, buddy, you still with us? So sorry. <laughs> I've ignored you for a bit.
0: <laughs> I'm uh, still here. I didn't fall asleep. I was just taking notes.
1: I'm so sorry. Listen, I following up on what Morgan said. Uh, and Morgan, you and I can agree to disagree on the Ant-Man. Didn't like the last one, but we, different discussion, different day. Um, please, Devin, share your thoughts on, you know, Morgan talks about three stages of the content journey, audience, community, advocates. I mean, my God, you guys did phenomenal uh, job with a building a community and instead of advocates at Gong. And, and now you're replicating that. I Clary, Can you walk us through your thoughts on on how to tackle audience, community, and advocates?
0: Well, first of all, on the end of building a personal brand in Ant-Man, I did not go see the new Ant-Man, but I will see it eventually simply because of Paul Rudd. I follow Paul Rudd wherever he goes. So his his brand is what's uh, getting Ant-Man dollars. But... Um, I actually, I actually don't completely agree. And I've, and I've, and I've, uh, debated this with Anthony. I think it's Kanata. I've never figured out how to say his last name, uh, previously at Gainsight, now Audience Plus. And I don't think audience and community are the same thing. And I think they get, um, I think the terminology gets used incorrectly sometimes. And the reason why is I would say I personally, Devin Reed, have, uh, a brand and I have an audience. But I wouldn't say I have a community. And the reason why is when you look at the B2B companies that I've worked for, Clary Gong, anyone probably on the screen, is there's a difference between the function of running a community. It's a dedicated place. It doesn't have to be, to your point, Morgan Slack. Like I think that's probably incorrect as well. But it has to be somewhere, a place where people go to gather for a certain reason. An audience is usually you meeting them in a new, in a neutral zone, which is like a LinkedIn feed. Or they've invited you to their house, like their inbox. And so they follow you and your content, whether it's you personally or your company, but they're not... People and your, your followers aren't necessarily meeting each other in a different neutral zone for a community base. So I think that's important to differentiate because as a content leader, I don't run the community. Uh, at Clary, uh, nor do I wish to. It's the hardest, maybe the second hardest job behind marketing to dev folks uh, is getting a legitimate B2B community off the ground and, and healthy. Um, so I think those two things are, are important to differentiate. Uh, I'll pause there so I, I don't monologue too long at you, own and and put you to sleep at 4.20 your time.
1: <laughs> You're not, not at all. Um, and, and I, I want to I get to you with regards to how product marketing can really help you nail the audience community advocates part. But before I do, Ashley, I welcome your thoughts and, and that of Atlassian as it relates to how you guys engage audience community advocates from a PLG perspective.
2: Sure. I just want to echo what Devin said, which is that community and audience are different things. I would say that, you know, community, if you look at like the Webster dictionary of dictionary definition of that word, it is a group of like-minded people who share an interest in a certain activity or a certain set of values. And so I would just echo that that is very different. It is intentionally about creating that space for people to be equal participants. And so that actually dovetails very nicely from a product-led growth standpoint, because as we think about how our products spread in teams, it's based on trust. It's based on rapport. It's based on having an affinity. It's not necessarily based on convincing someone to buy. Um, and so I think that's very interesting. Our users invite their teams. And so, yes, there's an audience standpoint where if you're an admin and you have an audience, you know, internally for a tool or for a problem and you say, this is the solution. It's this tool. Now you've turned somebody from kind of an audience member, they are internally an audience member into a user, but you have not necessarily turned them into community, right? Like they don't necessarily have a shared goal or a shared activity in this product or around this brand. So we think about that in a couple of different ways in terms of making space for people to have conversations about the practices as well, not just the tools, because we know that it's not just tools, it's gotta be the people, processes and practices and tools to solve a problem. So we wanna give space for that. Um, And that obviously can happen in a lot of different areas. It can happen on social, it can happen at owned events. We do have a community forum where people can ask product questions. They can just nerd out about hard problems at work and they can also connect with their peers. So this is something that's core, but I, I totally agree with Devin in terms of the audience. Um and the differentiating the audience from community. And then also to Morgan's point, differentiating community from a Slack channel or a Discord server and thinking about it more holistically about the shared space for the people who are in that community. Um, so that's kind of how, how we think about it. Um, one thing I want to touch on too. I know we're, we're going to be wrapping up soon, but I would love to get your take. Um, Devin and Morgan, on measuring all of this stuff. Like we've been talking more about kind of the philosophy and the strategy and even some of the partnerships. But realistically, as a business, we got to go to the business leaders and talk to them about what all of this great relationship building and content stuff is actually achieving. So, I'd love to hear Devin, maybe we start with you about um, how how you're measuring this stuff.
0: Oh boy, the list of metrics. Here we go. Uh No, I'm kidding. So it, it depends first and, and it depends too because of what you are... Contr- what I say, what am I con- uh, in control of and what am I in support of? Um I specifically don't say serve, by the way, Rowan, but we can dance on semantics uh later. But I start with things, what do I own? And by that, I mean, what is my team solely responsible for? And so... Oftentimes, that's things like audience growth. And I like to start, sometimes I do top of funnel down to revenue. Sometimes I flip it because I know revenue is obviously what uh, folks care about most and is most important. But it's things like, you know, are we growing an audience on social media, podcasts, email? And what are the health of those channels? Because we need to make sure we have uh, an audience and uh, lanes, if you will, to distribute our content. And to tell our story. And so I think that's really important that you build an audience of people who can buy from you. The next part is things around consumption. So it could be, you know, Hey, is, is our efforts hitting, uh, web traffic? Are we getting more organic, uh, or direct and search web traffic? Um. Other things are how's the content performing time on you can get time on page. I don't really report on that too much. It's kind of more for for our team because it's pretty in the weeds or, or damn near down to the soil. Um, but then other things like, you know, MQLs pipeline source pipeline influence, uh, and ultimately revenue, uh, using attribution models, uh, working with refine labs to try to do hybrid, uh, using some self reported attribution as well. But those are like the big main things we're looking at is, is our content. Uh, being consumed, is our reach getting larger and is the impact there, which is ultimately pipeline and revenue.
2: Morgan, how about you? How are you uh, thinking about the measurement piece of this? And especially coming from the content creator side where maybe you're no longer responsible for like a revenue quota, but obviously you've got to show impact. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, we're doing things. It looks cool. <laughs> um, So the main, the main thing is if we look at these three pillars, right? Uh, brand awareness. <clears throat> so ultimately the day, this is something that I added with the clients. It's like super straightforward and, and Devin kind of broke down a lot of these data points. Is you know, how did you hear about us? So, you know, we'll probably add in. Do we have a content creator or employee advocate that we have right now internally that's creating content? All right, great. Like let's add their name and let's see how many people are putting that name. Are they finding us from the YouTube show that we did? Are they finding us from the podcast? So we started adding this with a client. We saw increase in like than hearing us about, hearing about us from the YouTube show or hearing about the client from me as a person who's creating the content. So we found that to be interesting. Uh, Another thing that uh, I've instituted with another client as well is, and you know, this is kind of hit or miss for some sales reps, but every single time a sales rep starts the call, they'll be like, Hey, thanks so much for hopping on the call. How did you hear about us? What prompted you to take the meeting today? So that leads into like, Oh yeah, like I saw your content from so and so. We all know that sometimes people just don't don't fill out the form at all. So to have a sales rep ask that, you could go through any tool like a gong, right? And go through and say, hey, okay, how many people are saying this person's name? How many times are we getting stuff from our content that you know can't be attributed through all the data stuff that we just said? Social, is this the social lift as a whole? Is the content that we're putting out? Let's say if we have someone who's an advocate as a content creator or whatever content pieces that we're doing... Is the content that we're creating from that big piece of content, let's say like from a webinar, and we repurpose it, is that creating social lift on other platforms? That's interesting, right? So that means that whatever we're doing with this show, we should probably continue to do it. And then community is always different because it depends on what people see as community. But ultimately, is this leading to word of mouth opportunities, right? Is this leading to referrals? Is this leading to more engaged clients like longer LTV, etc.? So those are ways that you can track the community. How engaged are they? Are Are they dropping off, not communicating? Uh, those are different things that we look at uh, across the strategy and tactics on if things are working or not.
1: Brilliant. I, I love that there's two buckets, the strategic, which is perhaps a lot lagging in nature from a tracking perspective. And then the tactical, which is things that you can control and, um, you know, using the word. Devin uses what am I in control of and what am I supporting? So breaking it into two buckets: the the strategic, which is lagging, and then the tactical, which is things that you can measure on a monthly basis, perhaps, and then iterate from there. In some cases, even on a weekly basis, and then iterate. So you're not just waiting for give me six months, coach, give me six eight months, and I'm going to show you results, and and you're not and you're not showing anything for it, and you're not you can't measure it. So uh, Morgan, I love that you you break it into the two buckets, um, Ashley. At Atlassian, what does success look like for product content marketing teams?
2: Yeah, so we, similar to what you know, Devin and Morgan have said around looking at reach and engagement and conversion, I think the big thing is that from a high-level standpoint, you do need to have roles and responsibilities per team so that you're not duplicating all of that measurement work and so that everybody knows the metrics that you're driving towards, um, but also having a North Star metric. So in our case, that is... Customer growth. And so there's a lot of levers that we can pull that could be bringing in net new customers. It could be helping people expand their usage or, or adding more seats via other products. And it could also be through upgrades to, you know, more paid products or, you know, higher levels of features that they get as they move up into the enterprise grade additions. Right. So I think they've, I think Morgan and Devin have covered a really good overview of the different types of metrics. I think I'll I'll just pop up and say that for us, you know, we do have those owned metrics for each team. But the bigger point of knowing your North Star is, you know, customer growth, and then knowing the different strategies and tactics that you can use to achieve that, that's been really key for us. um, And just making sure those are called out. We do that we set our, we call them OKRs, um, it's objectives and key results at, you know, the company level, at the org level, and then at the team level. And so that we understand how all of our work ladders up. So I'll give more of the high level overview around goals and those kinds of things since they've given such a great overview of metrics.
1: Love it. Ashley, we're going to stay with you as we conclude with a quick lightning round. And so my question for you, Ashley... You've heard from Morgan Devin today. What's your one big takeaway that you're going to implement come Monday morning with your crew at Atlassian?
2: Well, coming from the product-led growth side, I actually haven't hung out with my sales peers in quite a while. And so I actually... This conversation has reminded me that we do have high touch, we do have sales-led, we do have enterprise. And so going over and... Hanging out with some of my sales folks on the other side of the house. That is my big takeaway that I need to do more of that.
1: Love it. And they're good people, right, Morgan? They're the, Especially those SDRs and BDRs that are on the front lines. Um, they're, they're great people. They're great yeah. people. They don't bite. Uh, <laughs> Morgan, what's your parting advice for product marketing, content marketing, and sales leaders in order to succeed, especially during these turbulent times? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I, I would find a way to, and this is gonna be simple advice, but I like to keep things simple, to have consistent meetings with your sales team on, like we talked about, what their problems that they're facing, right? They're the ones that are like, okay, we're getting objections every day from the product and also just common objections, SDRs, but also the sales reps are, you know, it's harder to sell now, right? Like they're getting beat up across the board and legal and even with other, there's more decision makers. So how can we make what we're presenting easier? And when we have objections in the sales cycle, how could we present the product in a way that makes it simple for people to buy, right? So that, that would be my takeaway for everybody listening in and uh, my takeaway on the bridge between marketing. I
1: love that Ash just said that as well. Fantastic. Devin, bring it home. What's your big ask of product marketing? Julian, Ryan, Rob, Ava <laughs> at Clary, listen up. What's your big ask of these folks to help your content marketing team do their job efficiently and effectively?
0: I think the 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 more maybe a an helpful answer, which I've done with with Julian and I do it with all the folks you mentioned, which as we're getting started on something like a narrative or a campaign, uh, I make sure look julian uh, VP of product marketing and and many other departments uh, at <laughs> Clary, and I go, you're gonna be Mr. Product marketing and I'm gonna be street level dev right now, and I'm gonna make you stop saying things like optimize <laughs> and i'm gonna and you're gonna let me p- supply some other language. And so you tell me what is coming from products and I kind of say, and I'm going to help uh finesse it for our audience and together we're going to make this thing work. And it's not, you know, it's not demanding. I think both the, the goal of it is to play into both of our strengths, right? Let, let product marketers do what they're great at. Let me and my team do what we're great at and just have a mutual agreement up front of how we're going to knock this thing out. And so I think just being open to that and just being clear with your expectations from, you know, obviously, all your cross-functional partners, but definitely between product marketing and content. It takes away the whose fingerprint is on it most, who gets the credit and say, hey, we're in this together and let's make the best damn campaign, narrative event that we can.
1: Love it. Devin, Ashley, Morgan, thank you so much for your time. What women want. Actually, sorry, no, that's the that's another session here. (laughs) What sales and content needs from product marketing. You heard it here first and foremost. Thank you so, so much. Very insightful. Have a good one.
3: Always a pleasure. Thank y'all.